Our text from this morning comes from Mark chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. Mark chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. If you are using the Brown Bible, it's on page 1574. 1574. In Psalm 94, the psalmist cries out, How long, O Lord, will the wicked, how long will the wicked be jubilant? For him it seemed like those who were against God were always prospering. It seemed like those who hated God and didn't care about following His way got to enjoy their lives while those who were striving to serve Him suffered day in and day out. We might wonder this ourselves. How long will this go on? How long will the righteous have to suffer or those who are eagerly trying to serve God suffer under their trials while the wicked go about life seemingly carefree, enjoying the fruits of their work? And I'm sure, well, you may be like me, and that sometimes you get angry at things that you see. I get angry when I see men and women who call themselves Christians picketing funerals of politicians, popular preachers, or soldiers. Why does God allow that to happen? I get angry when I see on the news a young child harmed for no reason at all. Why, why wouldn't God stop that? Why wouldn't He punish the wicked immediately? I get angry when I hear atheists or Muslims taking the name of the Lord in vain. I get angry when I hear them spout hateful words about our Savior, Jesus Christ. Why does God let them keep speaking? Why doesn't He judge them immediately in His righteousness? He could, right? We may ask questions like these from time to time, but when we ask these questions, when I ask these questions, we may be forgetting a very important point. When we want God to judge people according to what they deserve and judge them immediately, we are forgetting that we too have done things that deserve punishment. We too have sinned. And if God were to pour out His punishment on everyone who deserved it immediately, that would include us. If God gave us what we deserved, there would be something like a worldwide flood, only this time no Noah and no ark. The whole world destroyed and God would still be righteous. Our passage this morning speaks to these things. So let's look at it together. Mark 12, 1 through 12. Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. And they struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send, a son, whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him. And the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. 
Haven't you read this passage of Scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. They were afraid of the crowds, so they left him and went away. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would bless our time together, that by your spirit and word you would convict us, but that you would also give us grace and mercy and change us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In this parable, Jesus pronounces a judgment against Jerusalem and its religious authorities. God had sent them mission, uh, messengers, been patient with them, and yet they still rejected Him. They even rejected and killed the very Son of God. For this, they could be sure that God's judgment was coming. For although Jesus was rejected by His own people, God raised Him up and exalted Him to a place of honor and glory. In this message, I want to first take a moment to explain the details of the parable, and then I want to draw out three of the main themes in it. Thinking, what is Jesus wanting to teach these religious authorities, and what is He wanting to teach us? The three main themes to look for are these. Man's rejection of God, God's patience with man, and God's punishment of the wicked. First, let's look at the parable so we can understand it a little bit better. So here's the parable, the story. A man worked really hard to prepare a plot of land for a vineyard. He did everything that was necessary for it to bear much fruit. He built a wall around it to protect from wild animals or thieves. He dug a pit for the wine press That's so that when the people crushed the grapes, it would slide down this, into this big vat all together. He built a tower so that someone could watch for wild animals or thieves. And then he rented it out to someone who would care for it and produce fruit. These would usually be poor peasants who would work the land and get to take some of the fruit as a part of their payment. It was agreed upon at the beginning that they would be responsible to give the owner a certain amount every once in a while too. Whatever they had arranged in the beginning. In the parable, this owner sends his servant at the harvest time to get some of the fruit from the vineyard, some that he, they have uh, talked about beforehand that he would collect. The servant was a representative of the owner. So even though the owner didn't go himself, it's as if he went. The servant was there as the owner. And yet they treated him not like the owner, but like an enemy. They grabbed hold of him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. So you can imagine... You can imagine the servant going back to the owner and the owner being surprised that first he doesn't have any fruit, but second, what are those wounds all over your face and all over your body? What have they done to you? Consider this. If you were that owner, how would you respond? Swiftly, right? With vengeance. We might expect him to put a stop to it immediately and see to it himself. He won't treat my servant that way. Who do they think they are? Surprisingly, the owner sends another servant. And they treat him the same way. They beat him over the head and treat him same, uh, shamefully. And yet, surprisingly, again, he sends another servant and another servant and another servant. Some of the servants would be beaten. Some of them would be killed. 
But that's not the end of the story. It gets even more surprising. The owner has one other person to send, but he's not another servant. The many servants he had sent, and yet now he has his own son, his beloved son. He thought to himself, they'll respect my son. They won't treat him in the same way. This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. But they didn't. Instead, they saw this as their opportunity to make even more money than they had been making. Maybe they assumed that the father was dead. Since the son is coming, it must mean that the father is dead. And now if we take the son's life, no one will own this property. It will be ours to take for ourselves. So they took the son and killed him and tossed his body out of the vineyard. Then Jesus asks the religious authorities a question. What will the owner of the vineyard do? And he answers it what we would have answered after the very first servant came back. He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Now it's clear from this story that Jesus wants to teach something about God and His relationship to man. To the uh, Pharisees and the religious leaders, He wants to teach them something about who they were and how they had responded to God. He's addressing this parable not directly to the crowds, but to the Pharisees, to the religious authorities. He wants them to learn a lesson, and it's a lesson about how they had rejected God and His messengers. And now, they were rejecting the very Son of God. Verse 12 says that they knew He had spoken the parable against them. They had heard and understood this parable. That's something out of the ordinary, but they didn't like it at all. The theme that's expressed here is that throughout history, man has consistently rejected God. God's people even. God sent His prophets to His people and His people reject them. Over and over and over again. Consider the Old Testament prophets and leaders of the Israelites and how this parable is not just a mere abstraction. This really happened in a sense. God sent His messengers and they were treated shamefully. Some of them beaten. Some of them killed. The Pharisees and the other religious leaders in Jerusalem were just like their fathers before them. They rejected the messengers of God. That God even sent messengers was a sign of His mercy. Moses was God's messenger to the people of Israel. He rescued them from slavery in Egypt. And yet, what do we see the Israelites doing with Moses? Constantly complaining against Moses and his God. Constantly turning away from the message that he had given Moses to speak constantly rejecting God by disobeying Him. And God's prophets were always under pressure for speaking God's Word. They didn't like what the prophets said, so they treated them shamefully. We re- what we read in the parable about the beating and killing is exactly what happened in Israel's history. And we must understand that to reject God's messenger is to reject God Himself. To reject God's word is to reject God himself. Israel had done this. So they were guilty, not just of rejecting God's message or God's messenger, but of rejecting God. As they were treating God's servants, so they were treating God himself. In Matthew 23, 37-39, we see specific words from Jesus about how Jerusalem had treated God's messengers. Listen, Jesus said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, You who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, 
How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is a specific charge against the religious leaders in Jerusalem. They rejected Jesus, God's very Son. But not only that, they kept others from receiving Jesus as well. They poisoned their minds against Jesus. They caused others to stumble and miss out on receiving God's messengers. Let's listen to how the author of Hebrews describes servants of God who were mistreated. In Hebrews 11, 35-40 we read, There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. Sounds a lot like Jesus' words in the parables. Some they beat, some they killed. The people of the Old Testament and people throughout all of history have rejected God and His messengers. Do you know that people still today reject God? Did you know that? People still reject God and His messengers? People still reject God's own Son, Jesus Christ? How? The most obvious way, the most explicit way, is when we tell someone the gospel or when the gospel is preached and they say, no, I don't want any of your Jesus stuff. I don't want Jesus. I reject Him. That's clear, right? But there are other ways a person might reject God. And the truth is, every one of us has rejected God. We have rejected God by our sin. He tells us by His messengers how we ought to live. He has given us laws to obey, things to do and things to keep from doing, and we have rejected that. We have rejected God's way and chosen our own. You might say, no, I don't reject God. I've never really rejected God. I don't re reject Jesus like those Pharisees did. Can we really say that? Consider this. One way in which people reject Jesus is by rejecting His Word as it is written in Scripture. We have very clear words in Scripture about how we ought to live. In fact, the Bible is God's Word to us, right? So if we reject God's words to us, we are rejecting God Himself. It's not that we're just rejecting letters on a page. These are things He has spoken to us. And this is what we do. Even Christians, when we say something like, well, I know the Bible says this, but I, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to do this. I think I'm going to go this way. It's like the man who is leaving his wife for another woman. And you say to him, but marriage is for a lifetime. God created marriage that you would stay and love your spouse. And he says, I know the Bible says that, but this is different. I know what the Bible says, but I think this they may even say, this, might, this is what God's leading me to do. We reject God for our own preferences. Marriage is not the only time we do that. Whenever we sin, whenever we disobey God, we are saying, I know the Bible says this, but 
This sure sounds a lot better for me in this particular circumstance. Friends, let us consider, in what ways have you rejected God? In what ways have you rejected God's way of living so that you could do what you wanted to? Have you rejected His Word even though you knew what the Bible said? One of the things that is certain from this parable and from the Scriptures is that man consistently rejects God. It was true of the Old Testament people. It was true of people throughout all history. It was true of the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And it's true even with us today. There's another theme in this parable. Notice God's great patience with man. We could say that God's patience with man is staggering, amazing, wonderful, radical. Although God's people consistently reject Him, He has patience with them. He could have struck them down immediately when they sinned. He could have struck Adam and Eve down immediately when they disobeyed Him, and He would be perfectly right and just to do that. His patience was first expressed with them in the garden. They sinned against Him. They rejected His word to not eat from a certain tree. Because of their sin, they deserved death. If God had simply given them justice, what they deserved, He would have given them death. And then perhaps we would have never existed. Humanity, gone. Adam and Eve punished with death, and that's the end of the story. But that's not where it ends. God disciplines them for their sin. There are consequences that follow, but He has mercy on them and doesn't destroy them. Instead, He destroyed an animal and covered their nakedness, their shame with its skin. A substitute, a sacrifice for them. This was a hint of the sacrifice that would come in Jesus. In the days of Noah, all the people were evil and did what, whatever they wanted instead of pleasing God. Even Noah wasn't a perfect man. And God would have been perfectly just to have flooded the whole earth without providing a way of escape for anyone. And yet, in His mercy, in His patience, He called Noah to build an ark saved his family along with many animals. And this was a foreshadowing of the lifeboat who would come and save any who put their trust in him. God continued this throughout history to bear with the sins of his people, to bear with the rejection and not give them what they deserve, to give them kindness instead of justice. He passed over their sins with great patience and mercy. Can you imagine if God in His patience was more like one of us? What if God had the patience that you have? Consider, how do you respond when someone rejects you? When someone who's supposed to follow your instructions rejects your orders and throws them back in your face? How long ago the world would have ended if I was God? How angry I would get my own people, my own creation spit in my face and rejected me time after time after time after time. And yet consider the great patience of the Lord. What a great patience He has with us. We cry out, how long, Lord, before you mop the floor with everyone who defames your name and sins against you? And He says to us, hold on. 
hold on, I'm being patient with you. I'm being patient so that the full number of my people might be saved. I'm being patient so that people will turn to me in repentance and faith and attain salvation for their souls. Listen to how Peter puts it. 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Just for a moment, consider your own life, your own sin. Consider God's patience with you. Think about how you are a sinner who has rejected God and His Word. Think about how you have gone your own way or in the past before you were a Christian had gone your own way and done your own thing. Think about what it is that you deserve for your sin against such a great and mighty and powerful God. And Christian, what about the sins you've committed after you became a Christian? They continue, right? We continue to reject God. Do you see His patience with you? Do you see His great love and patience for us sinners? As a dad, I know how easily I can get impatient. How easy it is to get frustrated to lose my patience. It's often that my voice starts to raise and my brow starts to wrinkle up. My teeth might even grit a little bit over small things, over almost insignificant things. But when I think about God's patience with me, I am overwhelmed. His patience is staggering to think about. It can only be described with words like mercy and love and grace. We don't deserve it. Yet He's patient with us. If you're not a Christian, I hope you will see just how amazingly patient God has been with you. Have you noticed how much He has blessed you with? Life itself? Good things? Good food? Friends? And notice what He hasn't given you yet. Death and hell. Even that very fact shows you He is being patient with you. He wants you to come to repentance. He wants you to turn away from your sin and turn to Christ to save you. He is being patient with you. Don't waste the life He's given you. Jesus died on the cross so that sinners like you and me could be forgiven and saved and inherit eternal life. So why would you wait any longer? As long as He's been patient with you, why would you waste another moment? And Christians, I hope we can have, see what patience He has had with us. And it's only because of what Jesus has done for us. It's not because we've reformed our life or gotten all that much better. It's because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That's why He is patient with us. Because our sins, past, present, and future, have been paid for by the death and blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? What great patience He has with us. And you know what else? He is making us. He is molding us and forming us into patient people. So if you look at your life and you say, I am terribly impatient. 
I sin all the time with my impatience. If you are a Christian, you can know that God is making you more like Jesus in this. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It will inevitably grow. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and patience. This is something the Spirit is working in the people of God. Take heart to know that the Spirit is growing you in this. God is making you into this. He is changing you, sanding away your impatience. And one primary way He does this is by reminding us of the Gospel. By reminding us of how we didn't get what we deserved. By reminding us of how much patience was necessary for us so that we might be saved. Take note of Jesus' great compassion and patience for sinners. And cry out to Him, God, I want to be patient. I want to be like Jesus. Forgive me of my impatience and make me patient. Consider Jesus on the road to the cross. Beating after beating after beating and He doesn't say a word. Nailed to the cross. All this pain and suffering and the patience of Jesus that says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. Let us learn from Jesus, His patience. Now we come to our third theme in this text. So far we've seen that man's rejection of God is consistent and God's patience with man is wonderful. But third, God's punishment of the wicked is sure. God's punishment of the wicked is sure. Did you see that in the parable? He was patient. The owner was patient with those tenants. And yet the owner would destroy the wicked tenant farmers and give the vineyard to others. God is patient with you. Sinners who are not in Christ, but one day His patience will run out. Now is the time in which God is patient and merciful, but one day the time for patience will be over and the time for judgment will have come. In this parable, Jesus is pronouncing judgment upon Jerusalem. The city itself the temple itself would be destroyed. In another place, Jesus says, not one stone will be left upon another. It will be destroyed. Judgment is coming. They rejected Jesus and prevented the people from receiving the message. And judgment was coming. But judgment not only came to Jerusalem years later, a greater judgment. The judgment, the judgment is coming upon all unrighteousness. God is patient with the wicked so that they might come to repentance, but there will be a time when repentance is no longer an option. There will be a time when it's too late. The doors will be closed. Imagine a huge bucket the size of a water tower slowly filling with water, little by little, ounce by ounce, gallon by gallon, until it fills up and it begins to tilt, begins to wobble a little bit. And all of a sudden, oceans of water pour out, crushing whatever is underneath. It's a picture of God's patience. He has a wrath stored up for those who choose to not repent, for those who continue to choose to reject Jesus. One day, the waves of wrath that are held back by a huge wall will be released. The floodgates will be released. 
and the wicked will be destroyed. There will be patience no more. Scripture tells us one day every tongue will confess and every knee will bow before the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know, some of those will be bowing in anger. It will be too late for some. Some of them will be enemies confessing what they had rejected all along. Jesus is Lord, but now it's too late. But for those who are in Christ, all the punishment that was due them, all the wrath that is due to us, was taken by the Lord Jesus Christ. He drank the full cup of the wrath of God for us. Yes, we have all sinned and not given glory to God as we should have, But Jesus died on the cross as a substitute, as a sacrifice for sinners. For everyone who repents of their sins and trusts in Jesus to save them. Jesus lived the kind of life we each should have lived. He died the death we each deserved. And God raised Him from the dead on the third day. He did it all so that sinners could be forgiven. Made right with God, made acceptable to God so that we enemies of God could become sons and daughters if you're not a part of the family of God. And please know that God is being patient with you. He's giving you an opportunity. He's giving you grace even now to hear the message of salvation. Don't turn your ear away from it. He's being patient with you. Won't you hear Him? Won't you receive Him? Won't you receive the message salvation that He gives. And if you do, He will receive you. And the greatest need in all of your life, there may be a lot of needs that you see around you that, that you think will change your life, but the greatest need in your life will be met. Your sins will be forgiven and you will be accepted by God. Just a few moments. Let us consider verses 10 and 11. The scripture says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone or the capstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. Isaiah the prophet said, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces he was despised and we held him in low esteem but Jesus quotes here the psalmist that says the stone that was rejected has become the capstone a better translation the stone that the builders rejected has become the capstone this would be a stone placed not at the bottom of the foundation but at the top It would serve as the finishing touch upon a wall or a building. Something that would draw your eyes to the beauty of the building. The capstone of God's work, the crowning achievement for the salvation of sinners is the bloodied man from Nazareth hanging from a wooden cross for the forgiveness of sins. And the amazing thing about it is that this capstone is beautiful is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus crucified for sinners is a marvelous thing in our eyes. Because it is in this moment that our sins were paid for. 
It was in that moment that our pardon was secured and that we had peace with God. It was in that moment that we were washed clean from all of our sin and made acceptable in God's sight. Is this marvelous in your eyes? Is the dying Jesus marvelous in your eyes? Or can you just toss it aside and say, that's nice. Is Jesus crucified for you a beautiful thing? The stone that the builders rejected has become the capstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. I pray that that would be so for everyone here. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your mercy. For Your great patience to us, Lord. I pray that You would help us to see ourselves not as others see us or even as we like to think of ourselves, but that we would see ourselves as You see us. First, as sinners in need of a Savior. No righteousness of our own. And then help us to remember all that Christ has done to make us beautiful. Lord, we thank You for Your mercy. And I pray for the one who hasn't received Your mercy yet, who hasn't received Christ, that You would break their heart over their sins. Lord, break all of our hearts over our sins that we would even weep because we have offended You and sinned against You. Remind us day after day of the Gospel and Jesus' love for us and dying for us. Pray all this in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.